0: For decades, federal policymakers have operated under the assumption that students of color in American public schools are too likely to be identified as having a disability and placed in special education programs. But some scholars have questioned that assumption, arguing that students of color may actually be under-identified for special education and, as a result, missing out on needed services. Unusually detailed data on students in the state of Florida now provides an opportunity To shed new light on this long-standing debate and suggest that the truth could be more complicated than either side suggests. I'm Marty West, editor of Education Next, and my guest today is Claudia Persico. Claudia is an assistant professor in American University's Department of Public Administration and Policy and co-author of the new article, Segregation and Racial Gaps in Special Education, which will appear in the Spring 2021 issue of the journal and is available now at educationnext.org. Claudia, welcome to the EdNext podcast.
1: Thanks for having me.
0: So the subtitle of your article is New Evidence on the Debate Over Disproportionality. What is that debate, and why has it been
1: so hard to resolve? A variety of earlier studies consistently showed that Black children were overrepresented in special education, in particular that they're identified with disabilities at higher rates than uh, white students. Um, however, recent work has shown that this is actually quite a bit more complex. Um, so for instance, if you condition on economic factors and make sure that you're comparing uh, black students to observably similar white students, um, suddenly you have a bit of uh, a messier picture. So aggregated studies find that black students are still over identified, um, but studies using individual level data um, have started suggesting that students are under identified with uh, special ed related disabilities and so we're trying to understand this question and trying to sort of make sense of this literature that finds sort of conflicting things um and we we in fact uh to give you a taste find that school level segregation actually plays a big role and so all of these studies might be right and it may just be that the contexts between uh where the studies were situated might be a bit different
0: great so we'll come back to the specifics of that interpretation in a moment but i just want to note that this debate is not just an academic one, but rather one with clear consequences for federal policy. As I understand it, under the Obama administration, the Department of Education issued a new regulation creating a more standardized approach to monitoring disproportionality in special education that was really aimed squarely at preventing school districts from over-identifying students of color. What
1: does that rule say? So, the rule aimed to create a consistent evaluation process. The idea is that um, districts are supposed to monitor the percentage of children who are white, black, or Latinx who have a disability, and uh, to make sure that the ratio of those different percentages don't exceed a certain threshold amount. Um, So for instance, I believe it's not supposed to exceed 3.5 in Florida. Um, If a district is found to be in in violation of this rule, meaning that there's a really significant disproportionality between say whites and blacks in that district, the district is required to set aside 15% of their federal special education funding to spend on remedies. Now, initially states had a little bit more latitude to decide what the ratio would be um, but under the Obama era rule the the federal government actually sets uh, the rule um, and sort of for everyone and so more districts now are being found to be in violation of that rule um, and so our paper is trying to shed light on whether or not it makes sense to have these types of rules um, simply because it may be the case that, Black students actually need special education services and could be denied them, uh, who actually need the services, in districts that are found to be in violation of this rule simply because they're not allowed to admit any more Black students to special education.
0: And for that reason, I guess the Trump administration initially delayed the rule from going into effect. It cited the debate over just what the research says, and then ultimately a federal court ordered it to take effect anyway. So it is, as I understand it now, the law of the land. We'll come back to that later in the conversation, but let's now turn to the specifics of your research. As I mentioned, it was conducted in the state of Florida. Why was this a good place to examine this topic?
1: Florida is a relatively large and diverse state. It contains the sort of median voter in this country. Um, It's fairly representative of the national uh, sort of proportion of percent white, percent black, and percent Latinx. Um, And we also have um, basically birth records for every child born in the state of Florida between 2002 and 2010 that are linked via social security number to the universe of education records in Florida. So we're able to link 1.6 million births over that sort of decade of births in Florida to education records and follow students longitudinally. The education records are fairly rich. We're able to observe all of the different types of disabilities that students might be identified with as well as their birth characteristics like birth weight, whether or not there's breached birth, maternal health indicators. So the data was just exceptionally good to sort of study this question and allowed us to kind of draw new insights on how birth characteristics actually strongly predict disability stat, childhood disability status in school and how that it's important to take into account those types of things when trying to make sort of arguments about disproportionalities.
0: So most studies that have looked at this issue using individual level data, you mentioned earlier that there have been some, have only been able to look at students' characteristics at the same time they see the student's special education status. And it seems like that's particularly a problem when the study is looking at students' achievement levels. On one hand, you might want to control for students' academic skills when analyzing whether they should or should not be diagnosed with a disability. But on the other hand, those skills are clearly influenced by the school students attend and any discrimination that students have experienced within them. These birth characteristics as I understand it, don't suffer from that same concern. And you're suggesting that you find that actually we can predict a lot about whether a student will end up identified with a disability by what we can observe about them at birth. Is that right?
1: Yes, that's right. So birth characteristics are influenced by things like um, feelings of discrimination and potentially um. So, environmental justice concerns like pollution exposure, nevertheless, um, they're sort of plausibly uh, exogenous with respect to things like uh, the stuff we're looking at. And so Basically, uh, birth characteristics are really, really strong predictors of childhood disability. So, and in particular, we find that birth weight dominates over all the different birth characteristics that we look at. So we actually have a companion paper to this paper on how neonatal health characteristics of a variety of kinds and maternal health characteristics during pregnancy contribute to disability, and we really find that birth weight very strongly predicts childhood disability above and beyond all of the other characteristics that we examine. In particular, low birth weight strongly predicts uh, the likelihood that a child is diagnosed with a disability. And so we're able to sort of make use of that intuition around uh, birth weight to show that in fact um, black children are actually more likely to be born low birth weight and they have worse infant health at birth and so you would actually predict higher rates of, di- of uh, diagnosis with disabilities among this group than is actually observed in the data. And so that's the sort of intuition behind, uh, you know, what we do essentially and we show, you know, that the birth weight and these other neonatal health characteristics really predict disability above and beyond the variety of uh, economic characteristics in, in the paper, um, but we can, we're able to account for the universe of all of those different types of things to generate these sort of predicted de- disability rates for each group.
0: So one unique part of the study is this use of birth records that you've just been talking about. The second is that you examine how the probability that students are placed in special education differs depending on the level of racial segregation that they experience in schools. What led you to focus on that? aspect of the school experience in particular
1: a lingering question in the literature um, around identification with special education related childhood disabilities is what types of factors drive a disability identification um, in general um, but in particularly how peers and the larger social environment affects who ends up being identified with a disability so for instance there's a bunch of work by my co-author Todd Elder that sort of shows that a substantial number of ADHD diagnoses are driven by a child's age relative to their peers in school, such that younger children are more likely to receive these diagnoses, but it actually might be a function of, you know, uh, just their sort of development um, and things like that. Uh, and so, you know, we we started becoming really interested in this um, because of that, and also because of the fact that you know, there's ample evidence that also discrimination happens a lot and that it occurs around along racial lines and that school segregation um, could also be associated with a variety of other types of things like school resources and, and other sorts of things that we examine. We in fact find that um, school resources are unlikely to play a super substantial role, though they might play some role for um, Latinx students, uh, but we're, we're really interested in sort of, um, how uh, school segregation might relate to both these disproportionalities and how that also might then predict these types of achievement gaps between whites and non-whites in the schooling environment.
0: So let's bring it all together and get to the punchline of the study. Are Black and Latinx students in Florida over-identified or under-identified for special education? And how does that vary based on the level of segregation that they experience in schools?
1: That's a great question. <clears throat> so overall, it looks like if you just compare the rates between, of disability diagnosis between white students and black students and Latinx students in fourth grade, it looks like there's not really much of a disproportionality at all, which is what you would sort of expect under a law that sort of penalizes you for admitting a marginal student into special education from the perspective of a sort of cash strapped district. Um, However, the actual disability rate that we predict among black students is 13% lower in third grade and actually 27% lower in kindergarten than it would have been if they were identified at the same rate as observably similar white students with the same sort of neonatal health and economic characteristics. Um, for Latinx children, the overall identification rate is 8% lower than predicted in fourth grade, and 38% lower in kindergarten. So these overall sort of gaps masks uh, at like sort of substantial uh, heterogeneity in the different diagnostic categories. But also, it's important to recognize that you know it look it can look like we're we're doing uh, we're having justice by having everyone have the same disability. Uh, threshold or the same disability numbers. But in fact, um, you know, if you actually look at birth characteristics, there's strong suggestive evidence that a lot more kids are probably disabled than we're identifying within these groups.
0: So statewide, Florida has achieved something close to proportionality when it comes to just the raw statistics. But in doing that, it may be resulting in a form of disproportionality that means that Black students in particular, Latinx students to a lesser extent, are actually not getting the same services that they would if they were white students. Is that sort of the the bottom line?
1: Yes, that's exactly right. And so we also find that, of course, this varies with the racial composition of schools. So it gets even more complicated if you look at um, racial composition uh, of schools sort of um, and, and how these different disability categories sort of. Uh, are over or under identified in those contexts. So it turns out that black students are over identified with disabilities in predominantly white schools. And they're for the most part under identified with disabilities in almost all other types of schools. So you almost have a linear relationship of these sort of gaps where the the more um, non-white the school is the more underidentified Black students attending those schools will, will be.
0: So in majority white schools, it seems like the phenomenon that policymakers have been worried about is operating. Uh, but that's yes. not, of course, given the high levels of segregation across schools where most Black students are enrolled.
1: That's exactly right. And so, and we might be worried about both types of things, right? So I think it's rational to be worried about the stigma associated with a disability diagnosis for students who do not, in fact, have disabilities. We're not saying that's not real. Um, and, you know, there's also, but there's also reason to think that it's a really big problem to not give students services who really need them. And so it ends up being really complicated. And I think, you know, th- this might have uh, really strong implications for why um, Black students in segregated schools might be. Um, having such a difficult time in school and might have lower test scores and things like this, if they have undiagnosed disabilities for which they need help and they're not getting that help. And so that's also, I think, a really strong civil rights issue. Um, So that's, that's what kind of motivated us to look into this.
0: So it seems to me to return to the disproportionality debate that we started the conversation with, your answer is, in essence, it depends but that we should be at least as concerned that students of color are under identified as having a disability as we are, that they are over identified. Is that right? And what do you think it implies for federal policy going forward?
1: It's also important to mention that a limitation of the study is that we don't actually know the optimal identification rate because it's inherently unobserved um, and unobservable. So we can't really say definitively whether um, over or under identification with disabilities is a problem. Um, however, I sh- should mention that there is a literature, a growing literature on this, and actually some recent papers are being published that are very compelling that show that special education is, in fact, really important for children with disabilities. So there is a classic paper by Hannah Sheck, Kane, and Rivkin that finds significant positive effects for mathematics achievement for kids who are able to get special education compared to sort of marginal kids that don't. Um, It's also important to mention um, that Brianna Ballas and uh, Catherine Heath have a new paper that finds that marginal students who are denied special education services in Texas are less likely to complete high school or enroll in college than kids who do get the special education. And so this could have really important consequences for long run outcomes for, you know, again, intergenerational mobility and a variety of other types of things. And so um, unfortunately, we're not able to sort of like add that question to this paper, but we do think that it is super important and it might explain, you know, some achievement gaps and, and other disparities in long-run outcomes.
0: So should we rethink as a matter of federal policy this narrow focus on proportionality measured by raw rates across groups?
1: Yes, I absolutely think we should. And it but even, you know, one could also imagine a situation, um, and this might be too complicated. Where you know we researchers and government officials start using birth records to try to think about predicting the actual rates of dis- underlying disability that's likely to be in a community um, and economic characteristics and do something similar. So if we are still worried about disproportionalities. We could use this type of thing to think about that in other contexts. Um, now again, that, that may be too much of a data-driven approach. Um, so another option is to recognize that you know, the underlying health of, of black students is much worse um, at birth than, the, than observably similar white students. And that this is especially a problem in segregated communities. And that school segregation itself Um, might contribute to um, the underdiagnosis of disabilities, both because of these disproportionality rules, but also because it may be the case that disability is reference group dependent. So it might be that, you know, you um, are compared to your peers and if your peer achievement is low and your achievement is low, everyone might think that that's just normal and so you wouldn't get flagged as having a disability. Um, But, or, uh, but if your peer achievement is high and your achievement is lower people might start noticing you as sort of sticking out and then sort of addressing that you might have a disability, or it could be the case that race itself is a salient thing within the environment and so a black student in an all-white school sticks out because of the race, and so that makes teachers pay more attention to them, and then that might lead teachers to conclude that this person has a disability, even if they do not, simply because any characteristic that might make you stick out a little bit makes people sort of pay more attention to you. So those are the two sort of um, arguments we make in the paper. We can't, you know, we, we probably both play a role. My guess is school resources might play some role, but it's clear that race plays a role over and above that of school resources in this context. Um, and so, uh, you know, I think I think it's really messy and complicated, unfortunately, um, and I think that we, you know, any type of rule that you put into effect where schools might be penalized for this type of thing um, might be subject to gaming. And we worry about that type of gaming behavior. And in this case, it might be gaming wherein um, Black students are systematically denied access to special education that they need. And so that is that is what we're worried about.
0: My guest today has been Claudia Persico, Assistant Professor of Public Administration and Policy at American University and co-author of Segregation and Racial Gaps in Special Education, available now at educationnext.org. Claudia, thanks for being part of the podcast.
1: Thanks so much for having me.
0: You've been listening to the Ednext Podcast. If you like what you've heard, be sure to subscribe on whatever platform you use so that you don't miss an episode. And especially if you're listening through Apple Podcasts, please leave us a review. It helps us find more listeners and more listeners to find us.